Blog Talk Radio. represent the the needs and the will of the people. 
But unfortunately, more often than not, that's not what happens. And we've fallen into this this trap. We've fallen into this machine that we allowed to get built, and it got built by those who benefit from it. You know, the lobbyists and the politicians have a good thing going between themselves. Lobbyists pay a lot of money, and the politicians do what they say. And the lobbyists tend to be tend to represent big business. <clears throat> Oftentimes, that big business includes pharmaceutical companies, alcohol, uh, tobacco companies, um, prison guard unions, law enforcement. All of these are unions. These are these are groups of people represented by a union. And there are things that the law could do to make their existence better. And there's things the law could do to make their existence worse. So these lobbyists, they craft laws and they hand them over to the congressmen and they say, here, uh, I want you to promote this. And Oh, by the way, here's a whole bunch of money to put towards your special interest or your campaign or your whatever. And these politicians say, sure, thank you very much. It was great, um, you know, uh, wintering with you, you know, in the Choose Your Resort. And they do this. They live these lavish lifestyles. And frankly, I don't have a problem with anybody that lives a lavish lifestyle as long as they earn it. But when you're living a lavish lifestyle on the back of your constituents and you're not listening to what they have to say, but you're listening to the handful of people that are waving money in front of your face, I start having a problem with that. Um, I keep throwing these little jabs out about being taxed and regulated, and I have yet to have one person come up to me and explain the value, the reason that they think it's a benefit to have been taxed and or regulated. <coughs> Excuse me. Anytime a tax comes along, people wrinkle their nose, um, you know, the, the the corporate people, they live for tax breaks. Um, and then, of course, you got the, the the working man who is upset, you know, overrun with taxes more often than not, even though they're not uh, federal income taxes. But there's every kind of tax. There's state taxes. There's property taxes. There's sales taxes. There's gasoline taxes. There's tobacco taxes. It doesn't, you know, if you don't smoke, then that doesn't apply to you. There's alcohol taxes. There's every kind of tax. These sin taxes are super high. And now there's marijuana taxes, cannabis taxes. Um, all of these things, they help a certain group of people, and most people they don't help. I have yet to have seen anybody in any state where uh, recreational use has passed, where it's quote-unquote legal, and I've never really heard anybody explain how the taxes were great. You know, people say, oh, yeah, in Colorado, uh, the school's got all this money. Well, okay, school's got all this money. But there was probably all kinds of other programs schools were supposed to have gotten money for that got pilfered from, that got, uh, you know, strangleholded by the general funds that typically takes the money. You know, we don't stop and look and say, you don't need a pot tax to pay for your schooling. This is something that's been going on for a long time. You know, we had a lottery that was supposed to pay for the schooling. Where'd all that money go? Last I checked, they're still bringing in millions and millions and millions of dollars in the lottery. Remember when they sold the lottery to us in California? It was all about the schools. The schools were going to get all this money. Well, last I checked, California's got some of the worst schools in the nation. 
and some of the worst schools in the world, and it's not because money hasn't been raised. It's because it's been squandered. And where's the outrage? Where is the outrage? No, we just roll over. We pay another tax. We approve another bond. We approve all these things because, you know, well, you know, we need this money. And every time it comes up, you hear the politicians say, oh, we're doing it for the children. It's for the children. Well, bullshit. Okay, it's not for the children. We've been suckered all the way through this thing, and we keep passing tax, passing tax, passing tax. Look at your tax rate. I talked about this a few weeks ago. 8,000 businesses left California in the past several years because of our taxes and regulations, period. They went somewhere else where there was less taxes and less regulations. Now, you think about that for a second, okay? When a business finds it to be more beneficial to pack up and leave, do you realize what a pain in the neck that is to pack up and leave? You're going to lose probably most of your employees. The ones that you keep, you're going to have to pay a ridiculous amount of money to get them to move with you. And then you got to go rehire and find all these new people. There's nothing good about that. So it must be so oppressive that these business owners find that that's the best solution. All right, so we talked about that. We've talked about opiates as a as a, a cost of the war on drugs, the war on our people, the the oppression that comes from pharmaceutical companies and physicians uh, teaming up to make opiates be okay when cannabis is not. We had three weeks of discussion on that. We're going to go back a little bit to, again, one of the most important issues that have to do with prohibition, which is people being locked up. You know, we have had a motto, a saying, a jingle that says, no one should go to jail for a plant. Well, I mean it. I really mean it. There's no reason that anybody should ever be locked up for pot, ever. I don't care how many plants. I don't care how much you sold. I don't care any of those things. The truth is, no one should be locked up for pot. It's not the kind of thing that somebody should be locked up for. And the truth is, people are locked up for pot. Now, if I remember right, in Washington State was one of the well, Colorado was the first state that passed uh, uh, recreational. And, of course, they always had these claims that all the people that are locked up for pot are going to be released and everybody's uh, records are going to be expunged. <coughs> well, the truth is, some people got released. Some people are in the process of getting their records expunged. But still plenty of people in prison and in jails and people being jailed and charged for pot in Colorado today, right now. Um, the medical uh, element of Colorado has been decimated uh, to the recreational side. The black market thrives. And as much as the industry would have you believe that it's a thriving success, yeah, it's a, it's a success compared to Kansas. It's a success compared to North Dakota. But why do you have to compare it to that? Why can't we just say this is what we want? Why can't we have it? Why can't we just have it to where this is a plant like any other plant that doesn't hurt anybody? And whatever is reasonable for selling plants, why can't that be the norm? It's the norm for everything else. But in this case, uh, somehow, again, it gets treated special. Washington. Uh, Washington's a horror story, in my opinion. I've got cases like crazy going on in Washington right now. Now, we have a case in Washington that we have been following for the last several years. 
And um, I'm bringing Becca up right now. She's going to talk about it just for a bit. And this is a case that happened after Washington had passed their recreational law, and they had already had a medical law. And uh, there was a guy named, uh, God, I can't remember his first name, but his last name's Ortiz. And uh, he was actually locked up in jail at the time that his house was raided and at that time that he was charged with this crime. And so here's Becca, and she's going to tell you a little bit about what's going on. Becca is, of course, if you don't know, my right hand in the human solution. Uh, she's our treasurer, she's our media coordinator, and so much more. If anything gets done in the human solution, usually Becca had a hand in it, and she's been following up with uh, uh, with this case. So, Becca, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on, and I know there's not much we can really do at this time, but I think it's, it's important for people to realize that in states where uh, it's legal, where there's medical and recreational and, and there's licensed facilities and license and license and recreational and, and regulated and tax and all this stuff, we still have people locked up. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the Ortiz case? Well, um, it's Jude Ortiz. Jude Ortiz Jude, got busted. Uh, yeah, Jude. About, I think it was four years ago. And he went to yeah, trial. I think, so. I think it was four years ago. Yeah, he went to trial and he got uh, ten years in prison. He had a terrible for lawyer, and uh, yeah, a terrible had... lawyer. Yes, he did. And he, they said he was like at an appointment when he was really. They knew he was in jail. Come on, he was in jail right. when they raided his house. Exactly. But uh, he did have a terrible lawyer, but he um, was able to appeal it based on having a terrible lawyer, and that they didn't give him ample time. Whoever was within the house, they didn't give ample time before they busted the door down to answer the door. So he actually won his appeal based on an invalid arrest warrant, which suppressed all the evidence against him in his case. But meanwhile, he's been but locked up for, for a couple of years. Three years? And yep. uh, he's still locked up today. He's and still locked up. He's still, what he's waiting on now is he's waiting on the prosecutor who put in a motion to reconsider their decision. So, yeah, he's got to sit there in jail for no reason while exactly. the prosecutor tries to convict him again, basically. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. These prosecutors, I've seen it. I've, I've had it directed <laughs> at me. Uh, I've, watched it, I've watched it happen all over the place. It's happening in current cases going on right now. And these prosecutors take this personally. And they mm -hmm. treat every case as though, you know, they're dealing with the worst of the worst, the scumbag of the scum, and this, these people need to be locked up. And that's their way of looking at it. I, I've, I've very seldom seen a reasonable prosecutor uh, whose job it is is to execute justice, to bring to bring charges on people that deserve it, not just to bring charges on every case they think they can win. And in depressed areas, in places where people know they know that somebody's going to take a public defender. They go after these people, and, you know, usually they crush them into a deal. But <clears throat> if somebody goes to trial with a public defender, nine out of ten times they're not going to get defended mm -hmm. well. Granted, there's no. that one out of ten, every once in a while a public defender steps up and does a, a you know, a, a home run. But most of the time they just roll over and, you know, they take one for the team basically. And, uh, and they're usually so friends with the prosecuting on. attorney, too. Of course. Yeah, they're friends with the judges. These guys, you know, I, I can still remember uh, 
going to uh, Federica Ballard's trial, and after this case, which was a nightmare, um, I could have testified in this case and caused there to be uh, something good, but they wouldn't allow me to testify because uh, the the lawyer that was representing Federica uh, didn't get me qualified, didn't even try. He said, oh, well, <laughs> we don't, we're not going to need that. And I was like, I came all the way out here with the in with the purpose of testifying, I could have testified. I had expertise in the subject, and he didn't bother to to do that. So then once I came in, then I disqualified myself. So then once they said, oh, well, we, do we want to bring him in? Well, I was already sitting in the trial. So the judge says, no, you can't, you can't come in as a witness if you've been sitting in, in the trial. Uh, uh, yep. It's just a nightmare, and it happens all the time. And at the end of this thing, when she was convicted, her and her whole family was convicted, the mm-hmm. prosecutor congratulated, I mean, I'm sorry, the defense attorney congratulated the prosecutor. And yep. I couldn't believe it. My jaw dropped to the floor. My wife went off on this guy. It just went off on him. And, you know, prosecutor was a cute little uh, young blondie, and, and he was this fat pig. And he just, you know, it was it was sickening to watch. And, you know, then when when my wife went off on him, he said, well, you know, uh, we have to work together all the time. Which we have to, you know, we, we have to keep it keep it cordial. It's like, no, you don't. It doesn't have to be that way. You should do your job. And your job is to defend your clients, not to uh, flirt with the prosecutor when, when, <laughs> when she kicked your ass. So yep. it was really, really tough to watch, and I've seen these things happen so many times. And uh, anyways, well, Becca, um, you know, we've you've been talking to the fiancé and the mom, and I was, you know, trying to get the fiancé to come on the radio, but it doesn't seem that there's a whole lot that we can really do in this case, but... It's important for people to realize that on a state level, federal level, all kinds of levels, people are still rotting in jail with pot charges in places where it's so-called legal. Well, I think it's important to, to realize, too, that it's worth filing that appeal. This guy works. It doesn't happen yeah, often, but... You have to do everything you can. If you, yes. if you want to have a voice, if you want to have... A, uh, to feel like you've done, you know, like you, you've gotten justice. Well, justice isn't going to come and land on your lap like a butterfly. It's got to be fought for, and, and justice can be gotten. I got justice in the end after I got, you know, run through a meat grinder, but it was because I didn't stop and I kept fighting all the way through it that finally the right thing happened. And and you have to, you have to do everything. If there's an appeal, if there's a motion, if there's anything. And that's where I want to bring up our legal clinic. The Human Solution has been uh, working real hard on a self-help legal clinic. And, um, you know, we've been working with uh, Attorney Matt Pappas, and he's been championing a number of our cases right now. But um, just recently, uh, last week in Vegas, I met with Attorney Michael Minardi out of Florida. And uh, he's agreed to come on Chris Lewandowski's case. He's going to be a guest on the show next week. And uh, we're going to talk a lot about that case and about, uh, you know, the medical necessity cases in general. But to me, one of the most important things was is he agreed to participate and help out with our self-help legal clinic. And uh, he's very supportive of our work, and uh, <clears throat> he is looking looking to us to kind of lead the way through 
Chris Lewandowski's uh, support, and uh, it's coming up, you know, in January, and we're going to be talking a lot more about that as time gets closer. Uh, we've got a uh, jury nullification campaign coming up where we got to raise a bunch of money. We've got actually a uh, fundraiser going, a 420 division fundraiser where, uh, you know, virtually every dollar that gets donated to the Human Solution right now um, is going towards this legal defense unless it's allocated for something else. Um, and we've had a few decent donations, but uh, the 420 division is where we need to pick it up. You know, this is a co cost of a cup of coffee. Uh, you're going to hear a lot from Chris Lewandowski in the next uh, uh, upcoming month because it's his case that needs to be championed. Turned out his lawyer, uh, Tom Haney, is, um, well, I mean, I lost a lot of respect for the guy because originally he said he was going to do this case for $5,000. And then after <clears throat> it got pushed to trial, uh, the judge granted Chris's uh, rescinding his plea deal. His All of a sudden his fee went up to $20,000. And then he now wants $10,000 <laughs> for an attorney to prep the witnesses. Well, number one, I have issues with a lot of those things. Number two, I think that uh, Michael Minardi is going to uh, hopefully have the ability to present this medical necessity defense. And if it does, Michael has agreed to take the case on pro bono. We're going to come up with, you know, the the cost to travel him and put him up. But other than that, he's not he's not charging for uh, legal fees to do this case. And I got to think to myself, uh, a guy who practices in Florida, is willing to come out to Oklahoma, of all places, um, it, 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 that's some powerful stuff. So we need to start making Michael Minardi a, a, a household name, and we need to start thinking about what we can do to uh, you know, promote his efforts as well. He's very strong with our, um, our effort to end prohibition. He's a proponent of jury nullification. Um, and, you know, he's willing to stand up and fight for people's rights. Um, he's a young guy. He's, he's uh, you know, gotten two victories in Florida where there was, no, um, there was no law at the time. Now Florida just passed a law, but it's, it's you know, like all the rest of them, limited in its, uh, in its abilities. All right, here comes Craig Cecil calling from Terre Haute, Indiana. And, uh, Becca, I appreciate your time as always. You're welcome. All right, we'll talk soon. Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Joe. Well, the president uh, commuted the sentences of more prisoners. <laughs> What's that? Well, yesterday the president commuted the sentences of, what, 79 more prisoners. Oh, I didn't even hear that. I was out running around all day yesterday. Do you know any of the details? Did anybody we know get no, commuted? No, I don't. Uh, I, I don't because uh, my email service has been cut off. Our, our computers are messed up. Oh, so I okay. haven't been able to see the list yet. <laughs> well, I wonder if everybody that got commuted has been alerted yet. That's a good question. I presume they have, though. Usually they they uh, alert them a day before the announcement comes out publicly. Well, my my thinking is that now 
this is the first wave, and it's what two weeks after the election, and as as we had hoped, um, you know, this is that most powerful time in a president's term where he doesn't give a damn about what's going to happen to him afterward. This is his chance to leave his legacy. So, um, you know, he's going down a road that's unparalleled right now. He's doing, you know, if if nothing else happened in his in his term that I that I'm happy about. This is one thing that I am, you know, he's got the ability to really make that difference right now. So I'm, I'm hoping he goes all the way and just really, really digs in deep. Well, my, as you know, my daughter and uh, Amy and so many others that are in our in our little ambit uh, were out in Washington D.C. last week. Right. And they spoke with the people at the pardon attorney's office as well as, you know, a whole gaggle of people out there. And just as you're saying, the promises are that uh, they're going to be sending uh, petitions to the White House, possibly by the hundreds. Wow. So, well, I sure so hope, uh, you know, we're, we're, we got another uh, month and a half till, uh, till the drop dead time. And I, I, doubt in, I doubt very seriously if Trump's going to do any commuting of any sentences, uh, especially not in the first three and a half years of his term. I agree. I agree. And if you look in Obama's first four-year term, he only did one commutation. I mean, and that's kind of the norm. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, Craig, but, uh, this, is a, this is a bittersweet time of year. Um, in, in my life, you know, I, I spent one Thanksgiving locked up, and that was enough for me. How many Thanksgivings have you now spent behind bars? Ah, uh, this is my fifteenth. Fifteenth. You know, it, it's 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 devastating for me to think that. I don't know if you remember, but about three three years ago, um, or four? No, it was four years ago now. Or no, three years ago. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, about three years ago, I had reached out to a number of inmates and invited them to join my Thanksgiving dinner. And you were one of them, and we didn't know each other very well at that time, but it's three years later now. And But that was actually the time when um, Sherry was joining my table at the time, and she didn't really – she wasn't involved with this whole prison outreach thing. And I can remember we had about 15 or – no, it was more than 20 inmates that had called in that through the course of the day. And – we put them all on speaker, and we all talked to them for our 15 minutes. And, you know, George Martirano and Randy Lanier and, and so many of the others that have already been released were on that call. And um, it changed her life. It changed her. It woke her up to what was going on in the, in, in, in the prison system. And, you know, she became an advocate as a result of that, of that, of that meal, whether she'll – cop to it or not I was there when it happened and you know it was it was something that touched a lot of people and I think that the work that's been done and the awareness that's being raised and the fact that you know there there's a change in the in the public sentiment about prison and prisoners and about our you know mass incarceration rates there's an awareness about that now that I don't think there was three years ago and as you notice from that dinner, just by presenting 
presenting us, presenting the actual prisoners to people just made a, a world of difference in, you know, how those people, you know, including Sherry, including so many others that became advocates. Well, you know what happens is uh, good people just are ignorant. They don't know what's really going on, and they believe that changing laws are is the entire of the answer. And they don't realize that just because you change a law doesn't mean you get the desired effect that that law is supposed to do. And, you know, that's one thing I wanted to ask you. You know, you're in touch with a lot of different groups. And I and I got to wonder, there are a lot of groups that are, their purpose is to change policy. Um, you know, there's the Drug Policy Alliance, there's Normal, there's all these, um, you know, Americans for Safe Access, all these all these organizations whose job it is, or their their mission, they claim is to change policy, to to uh, you know change these laws. What do they do in states that the laws have been changed? Do they stay in existence, or do they walk away and go to states where it hasn't been changed, or do they do something else? I'm just curious. I don't know the answer. Well, in most cases, they, they get stymied by politicians. Politicians talk a lot about criminal justice reform and and especially about marijuana law reforms and, and things of that nature. But if you look, the legislature, especially including our federal Congress, is loath to actually stand up and do it, to stand up and vote, to actually put a bill on the floor and debate it. These bills start out and many of them actually get filed every every session of Congress, but that's where they die because they can't seem to get a coalition of our uh, congressmen behind them to actually pull them to the floor, actually get them talked about, actually get them considered. Well, and it's, as our current U.S. Congress is about to you know, run out in the next week or two, so will all the bills that have been put in for criminal justice reform over the last two years of this Congress. So next January, they're going to have to start from scratch. So yeah. all we can do is really be hopeful. Well, I, I don't. I we just got a, a new attorney. Michael Minardi um, has joined up with our legal clinic. He's our he he's going to be helping out on a number of our cases, and um, he's successfully defended medical necessity defenses in Florida. Um, and him and Matt Pappas are uh, in communication with Congressman Dana Rohrbacher, who actually. Uh, presented the one good bill that I've ever seen in Congress. It hasn't passed, but it's called the Respect States Marijuana Laws Act, and it allows the states to dictate the policy, and the feds will follow suit in that state. So it allows for a state to say, you know what, we're going to take this off of Schedule 1, and if they do that, the federal scheduling will not apply to that state. Um and it's a simple law. It's only five lines, and I've actually advocated for it. One of the very few laws I've ever actually uh, spent time personally advocating for. I'm supposed to be meeting with Dana Rohrbacher in the next little while, and I'm hoping that that turns out to be uh, a good experience. He's one of the few congressmen that have actually championed our cause, and he's a Republican of all things uh, in, a, in a very conservative county out of Orange County, California. Now, one thing is I've heard a lot of people 
in the uh, marijuana community are alarmed by the uh, nomination of Jeff Sessions since he's adamantly opposed to anything marijuana. But you know what? I'm almost wondering if that might be good. Because if he starts really screaming for the enforcement of marijuana laws and the public stands up and says that's not really what we want, that may be what it takes to finally get our Congress to put the bill on the floor and put it to a vote and see, you know, what our actual representatives, what they'll vote for in Congress when they're supposed to be representing the 60-some, what is it, 65% of Americans now that believe in the decriminalization of marijuana. Well, you know, I, I agree, and I think that uh, one of the things that it really, at this point right now, it I almost would welcome that because we have now a lot of big money that's entered into the industry, and the industry and the movement are, are very separate. They're, they're, the industry really doesn't do much to support the movement, um, and, but at the same time, it benefits from the movement. And if if the Fed started cracking down uh, in states where the the will of the people had said we want this to happen on some level, uh, I believe there'd be a lot of money pushed thrown into a, a blowback. So you know it's going to take something. It's going to take that final bit of friction to push this thing over the edge, one way or the other. And you know, frankly, you know I'm all for the revolution. I think that we should not take up arms, but take up action and, and, and you know, stop sitting on our beds and complaining from Facebook, but actually get out there and do something about our our issues that we have. And I, I think that if we get pushed to it, I think that that's ultimately what's going to happen is more and more people are going to stand up, make those phone calls, show up, pick up a picket sign, and do what it takes to make something change. You're right, and that would push big marijuana and big money with big marijuana behind the advocacy groups such as you that they that they need to for their very survival. God, I don't know what we would even do if we had money. <laughs> we we we'd probably explode, but no, we'd actually be able to to accomplish a lot if we had some funding. Um, you know, we're the only nonprofit organization that doesn't have a paid administration. And all the money that we raise goes towards the things that we set out. Well, you know who's up next on the show is the mother of Lance Glore. Lance is a federal inmate, um, and she's going to be doing an interview today about her son. And he it was locked up um, in federal prison after a trial, and he was following the state law. This is the very thing that everybody thinks doesn't happen, and Lance is languishing up in SeaTac Federal Penitentiary. And uh, so we're we're doing what we can on his appeal and and uh, trying to raise up some uh, you know some some support. We believe we've got a case uh, to overturn because of the law that supposedly defunded the Fed's um, actions in this case. So we may have a chance to overturn this verdict. That's fantastic. Cause I am familiar with that case, and the the whole thing was wrong, as, as you pointed out. He was complying with the state laws. And really, the Tenth Amendment says that the state laws take precedent over federal laws. <laughs> well, you know, that old Tenth Amendment, that seems to be a, a pesky little thing that most of the feds just brush under the rug, don't seem to acknowledge much of that. Well, let's call it from a federal prison. 
It's probably about time, and I'm I'm really hoping that Jeff Jeff Session brings it to the fore just by, you know, even if he just tries to push the uh, the enforcement agents and all that, that that will will certainly cause a backlash, especially now in the the new uh, recreational marijuana state of California, but Washington and Colorado and all the states that have actually settled into the the income stream and just. The people there are, are now used to recreational there, and they're accustomed to it. They're not going to want the feds chasing them. No, they're not. Well, listen, um, do you have, you know, Tracy Glore is, um, you know, concerned that the effort that we make to, to help Lance is going to, um, you know, cause a retaliation, and you, you've been uh, well-versed in that. What do, you, what do you have as far as advice to both Lance and Tracy and, and the, the whole family? Oh no, the the retaliation is, is only going to be limited to uh, a prosecutor who's angry that he's being challenged. And really, in the federal justice system, prosecutors are enough. So they're doing exactly the right thing to, to challenge the prosecution, to challenge, you know, the, the laws as they're being enforced. Well, I, I, I certainly hope, uh, you know, God, my dogs are going crazy right now. <laughs> uh, well, you get to hear you get to hear all my menagerie going crazy. Hang on one second here. Uh, geez. Yeah, I've got a professional studio here, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. Well, Joe, that was the second beat, so yeah. Please tell, please extend from me to Lance's family that, you know, stay in the fight. Fight every day, every hour. It, it does pay off. As you know, I'm excited about what's going on in my case after 15 years now. But I've stayed in the fight, and really everybody needs to stay in the fight. And there he goes. Well, as, I, as you all have uh, experienced for the last, uh, you know, several years on this show and the shows that preceded it, uh, you know, the federal inmates get 15 minutes. Uh, they get 15 minutes when they get time at all. Uh, you know, many times uh, an inmate will get a shot or they'll get, uh, by a shot, it, it's a, um, a punishment. And uh, it's a, it's a, a lot of times they can lose their phone and their internet privileges as you know, one of the few privileges that they get, they might lose commissary. They might lose. Uh, they might get put into the hole, the, the solitary housing unit, the shoe. Um, these are all things that they can do to punish you. Um, but there's other things that they can do. And and you know, uh, Craig is the eternal optimist. And and you know, Craig is taking a risk every single time that he calls in this show. Um, he could be punished for that. Part of the rules of federal prison is that. Uh, you're not allowed to be on any third-party calls. You're not allowed to do interviews um, unless they get approved. They don't like this kind of of um, activity. Uh, but for some reason, um, you know, Craig is one of the one of the inmates that is called religiously uh, to this show, and I believe a couple of others he calls as well. Um, and uh, they they haven't punished him for it. I know. Um, we've had a number of inmates that have called over the years, and uh, one of them that I know had gotten reprimanded. Um, but most of them are, you know, not willing to take that risk over uh, 15 minutes of, of 
time to to communicate. Um, so we do have Tracy Glore on the line, and, and we're going to be bringing her up very shortly. Um, <clears throat> this is this is a a powerful case. This is a case that you know uh, Lance is is um, he's a young man who you know has a good heart, and he was doing good work for good people. And of course, uh, the trial um, you know prosecutors are are oftentimes vindictive, um, just mean, angry people who will do whatever it takes to cause harm to anybody um, that's going to make their job difficult. And uh, uh, he threatened, the, the prosecutor threatened the family. Um, there's just, the, the, the story is harrowing, and we're going to have a good amount of time to talk about this. Um, I just want to take have everybody take a minute and we're tomorrow's Thanksgiving and I just want everybody that's listening to the show to realize that while we're sitting there with our families, while we're enjoying Thanksgiving, while we're thinking about what we're grateful for, we need to realize that there are a lot of people who are not. They're sitting in a prison cell at a dorm. You know, in 2012, I was locked up at Thanksgiving and I, uh, you know, made it not a big deal, but, you know, it, it it was pretty horrible. It wasn't horrible for me as much because I had family, and I had, you know, I was able to make phone calls, and I called my house, I don't know, several times during that day, and I told my family to have a big party and have all the people over they could, and that when I called, I wanted everybody to tell me jokes and make me laugh and so I kept pestering them and they kept telling me jokes um, but the saddest part about being locked up was when I saw so many people there was 160 people in my dorm and uh, I remember it like it was yesterday um, and you know when mail call would come or when visiting call would come there was only a handful of people that ever got mail and there was only a handful of people that ever got visits. And I was blessed on both sides. I got mail every day, and I got visits as many as I could have. I had the maximum amount of visits. And, you know, there was the guy that was next to me in my bunk. You know, it was the storm was bunk to bunk to bunk. There was no space between beds. There was no – it was just wall-to-wall men. And it was just, you know, a, a dark, ugly place. And I can remember the guy that was sitting next to me. I can't remember his name, but I do remember him. And he had nobody. He said he had a friend, but he didn't want to call him because he didn't want to. He was embarrassed. He had a meth problem, and he kept getting locked up. And he said, you know, I never hurt anybody, but every time I get out, I just, you know, find myself back to that drug, and the next thing I know, I, I get busted again. And he he had a daughter but he hadn't talked to his daughter in years he had an ex-wife he hadn't talked to her he, he had nobody and every time i would go and make a phone call and i'd come back and he'd love to hear about you know my life and my family and my friends and people that the work that we did you know he was fascinated by the human solution and all the work that we were doing and the fact that we were helping out you know other inmates in the same facility and uh you know it blew him away that anybody cared and you know the these these penitentiaries these these um, jails and prisons are are 
just dark, dark, heavy, dirty places. And um, fortunately, you know, some of the inmates that we've been supporting are strong. Craig Cecil has just got an amazing uh, resilience and amazing spirit. You know, his son passed away while he was locked up. He's he's gone through so many horrors and and been powerless. And I can remember what it felt like, you know, when when the bail bond company was threatening my wife and we were getting, you know, my family was getting all kinds of grief when I was locked up and I was powerless to do anything about it. And I can remember how horrible that felt. And that was, you know, uh, maybe the worst of it all was to not be able to do anything about what was coming at us. And there's so many people that are in that same situation. So I just want everybody to take a minute and, you know, tomorrow when you're with your loved ones and in, in, in a warm and, and, and happy place, uh, just remember that there are people that aren't and people that didn't deserve it. You know, there's no one deserves to be locked up for this plant, no matter how many plants they had, no matter what else they were doing. It, even if they were violating codes and whatnot, you know, you don't get locked up in jail for violating a, a uh, zoning codes you just don't you get fined you get whatever but you don't get locked up so you know let's remember that also i want to before we bring tracy up i want to uh thank the coffee party radio network for allowing this show to be on your network and uh the coffee party is an affiliate with the human solution uh we're going to be working closer together on a number of projects and uh it's exciting to watch nonprofits start to work together. Uh, Tracy's got a, a saying that she says, one dream, one team. And I think that the more uh, other groups and individuals start standing together, put their egos and their bullshit aside, and remember that the problems are bigger than, than any of us can really fix by ourselves. And the more we stand up, together with a united voice, with a united mission, a united front, the more we're going to get done. And they can't stand up to us if we stand together. They just can't. We win every time when this happens. So it's exciting to see these teams starting to grow, um, and and so stay tuned for that. Finally, I, I want everybody to realize that this is a podcast. Um, as a podcast, I'm not confined to the F. CC rules, and I can say whatever I want to say, um, and, you know, I usually keep it pretty rated PG for the most part, but, you know, if, uh, if an F-bomb slips out, I don't get fined, but the other thing about a podcast that makes it important is that it's archived. Every guest that we've ever had on this show, every show that we've ever had is archived, and we have on our website a page that just is for the archives. And so, you know, there's been a ton of uh, amazing shows. We've had amazing guests, amazing topics. And um, it's not just me droning on about ending prohibition. Um, there's some amazing interactions that we've had, and there, it's all in the archives um, forever. So anyways, if you missed ever anything that, that was going on and you want to listen uh, you can commercial free. Uh, you can fast forward past the part you don't like. Um, whatever it takes, you're welcome to join our archives. All right, so here we are. It is we've got a, an hour fifteen minutes left in the show, 
and you know we were talking about prohibition we're talking about um you know these cases where um there's a law that's supposed to allow certain things to happen but the good old boys have done things a certain way forever and they're not so likely to let these things go uh the federal government has a very firm position if you ever read the controlled substances act it says no it says no absolutely not you cannot have one seed you cannot have one plant you cannot have a field of plants you can't have any cannabis none and if you do you're violating federal law and you know as it seems there's been a a laissez-faire a hands-off policy for the most part but the federal government picks and chooses and they sit there up on their mountaintops with their bb guns and they knock us down every once in a while and Lance Glore was one of these cases. So we have his mom, Tracy, with us now, and we're going to be talking about not only Lance's case, but the bigger picture and, of course, what we can do about it. Tracy, welcome to the show. Hopefully you're in a good, comfortable place with a good signal. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Well, I am uh, above ground, breathing, and currently out of custody. So I'm doing good. Uh, and, and, you know, it hasn't always been that way, and in your case, you know, your son's not that way, and I, I could imagine, you know, if my wife or my daughters or my son were locked up, it would, it would be like me being locked up, you know, I, I, it's, it's, people don't realize that when somebody gets locked up, the whole family, everybody who cares about that person is punished as well, um, so let's start off with that the impact of, of Lance being incarcerated um, on you and the family. What What's what's that like? I mean, you know, you and Lance have been, what was your relationship like before, um, you know, all of this happened? Were you guys pretty close to begin with? Yeah. Um, actually, this whole thing is horrible. And um, listening to Craig talk and when the, um, his beeps happen, um, all the emotions swell up again because that's the horrible sound when I'm talking to Lance on the phone. I don't want to hear it. I don't want our time to come to an end. Um, sorry. No, 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 it's okay. And and you take all the time you need, and if you get stuck, just it's okay. You've got... Uh, We've got the duration of the show um, to get this story out, and like I said, I'm going to do everything I can to uh, to move it to the places it needs to, and to give you plenty of time to uh, to express this. I think as people understand the impact of these cases, it hopefully will cause them to move to act. You know, how many people are in Washington that don't think that this could even happen, and yet here we are. Um, yeah, I never thought this would happen. Lance Means is a world to me. Um, he and I are really close, and I would do anything um, to get him out of there to see him free. He does not deserve to be there. He's one of the most kindest, caring, compassionate guys I know, and um, our family is not whole without him. We're suffering, and to have to go visit him and fill him see you next week is um, totally heart-wrenching. 
I, I, I would have never even understood it unless I had to do it. It's horrible. Well, uh, you know, and it, it's one of the things that I look at it this way. I, I, I got locked up four times through through my journey, and if I'd never had gotten locked up as much as I wished I hadn't got locked up, at least I can empathize with people who have, and I can have a different conversation with people um, who have experienced this. And and you know, you don't need to experience it to to care. You don't need to experience it to act, but if you do, it, it, it changes you. And, you know, you've got the ability now to, you know, help other people in a similar situation. And, unfortunately, you know, I look for whatever good can come out of a situation. Now, um, you had told me that Matt was going to visit uh, Lance today. Do, do you know if that happened? I have not heard from Matt. I haven't heard from him either. Okay. No. Well, then I don't we'll, know. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll follow up with that, but I hopefully hopefully that did happen. So um, let's we're going to sort of bounce through time a little bit. Um, this case this case happened. Um, Lance was operating in in Washington State, and um, he was operating a dispensary um, that was you know compliant with Washington State law. But there was other people involved, and there was, you know, was a, without getting into the whole story, there was a number. There was there was a number of players involved, and there was a number of uh, dispensaries involved. And when the feds came in, as typically happens, every single person rolled over, and not one other person stood up besides Lance. Is that correct? Correct. And and yep. you know I, I I have personally witnessed this with people that I've known, you know, ahead of time before they got busted, and I've sat in federal trials, and it's the most heartbreaking thing because the feds are ruthless. Anybody who thinks that you know, um, number one, that anybody who stands up uh, and takes their case to trial is anything other than a hero, I I. I encourage you to go sit in a federal case and see what it takes to stand up to the feds. Uh, I have, without ever having met Lance personally, I've talked to him on the phone several times, and, and you know, he came on the radio once. Um, but there's an incredible amount of courage necessary to take and take your case to trial on the hopes that justice will be served, on the hopes that the right thing will happen. And it's even more heroin because every single person around, friends that you've known for for ever, I mean, I, I've watched friends of 20 years turn on each other. And, you know, unfortunately, if somebody takes a plea deal, what they're agreeing to do is to cooperate. They're agreeing to cooperate with the government, and what that means is they're agreeing to testify in court against their friend, their family member, their whatever. And, you know, um, it's got to be heartbreaking. How, how were you, you were close, actually, to uh, at least one of the defendants, if not more. Um, what, what was that like to see people that were close to your family that you trusted? I believe your own uh, son-in-law or one of your, somebody that's related to you and in in through, through um, a child, 
testified against Lance. Yeah, um, one of the co-defendants, he um, was Lance's, one of Lance's best friends growing up. I mean, he called me mom, and he turned on Lance to save his own ass because he was guilty of money laundering and whatnot, and he was in it for the money. And so in order to save himself, he had to roll on Lance and say things that weren't true. And um, it's really hard. It's heartbreaking to sit there and watch him on the stand. And then um, the father of my granddaughter is Lance's best friend. He grew up in my house also. His family um, lived across the street from us, poor family, and we... um, helped raise their kids. Um, He was the main federal witness against Lance because he is a meth addict and um, trying to save his own butt, he did what um, the prosecutor asked him to do, which was lie. And um, a couple days before the trial, he decided he didn't want to do that, so he was going to leave to Montana. Prosecutor and went and had him arrested and um, of course he was strung out on drugs and everything and they kept him in the federal tank there didn't tell the judge or the jury that they'd had him for the last two to three days trying to get him dried out enough so he could be a federal witness and that tore me apart that tore me apart that he would turn against our family like he did and still expect to be a part of our family um, I care about him, you know, I, I, he, he's like one of my kids, but um, I just can't imagine why he did something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal. I, I, I watched, I don't know how many times, well, every time, um, you know, in, in Aaron Sandusky's case, I sat in his trial and his, you know, best friend, Johnny Knuckles, um, who's already out, you know, he, he had to do, I don't know, less than a year and Aaron got 10 years, and, uh, you know, they were partners. They were full partners, and, uh, you know, Johnny turned around and uh, was cooperating. He was actually um, cooperating before all this stuff happened. He was actually part of what caused the the, the investigation to, to happen, and, you know, mm-hmm. this was a friend of Aaron's for, you know, 15 years, but he had a cocaine problem, too, and so turned out that, uh, you know, he he got off on all of his stuff, and like I said, he had to do nine months in a camp, and uh, that's it. He's he's a free man today walking around um, while Aaron yep. sits in prison, and uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. I, I've sat in a number of trials, and um, every time I sat in a trial, I wrote about what I saw. You know, uh, as an advocate and, and an activist, I I find it important. I find it necessary uh, to to share what I see out there, and, and then hopefully to inspire somebody to act. And um, in every single case that I've written about, where there was um, informants, uh, rats, I wrote about them, and I I I wrote about them very carefully. I, I may not be the best writer out there, but I am good at saying specifically what I mean and without, you know, it causing problems. And every single time 
that I've done that. The prosecutor, the next day after my article was published, brought it up in court and tried to have me sanctioned. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've had articles read in, in trials uh, in open court and, and, you know, accusing me of threatening witnesses and, and witness tampering and all of this stuff. And, you know, fortunately, you know, my First Amendment stood up and I didn't cross any lines. But to watch the vitriol and the venom of these of these prosecutors, these U.S. attorneys, um, you guys have had a horrible experience. In fact, uh, the prosecutor in this case is actually related to Vince Lombardi and carries his name. Uh, and this guy has, has, you know, gone after you guys personally or threatened you at very least. Um, and I and I don't want to you know cause any you to say anything that you regret. So I'm gonna sort of leave the door wide open. But you know to feel that a case, a government worker, a prosecutor, a U.S. attorney is a government worker. Okay, he's paid to do a job, and he's paid by the government to do a job, which is to uphold justice and to go after criminals and to. Uh, you know, follow the law and to, you know, um, prosecute worthy cases and not frivolous ones. I mean, that's his job. And yet when you see these U.S. attorneys take on these cases, you would think that they were going after, you know, El Chapo himself, some real, you know, gun-running, smuggling you know, child raping, just the most horrible people in the world, the way they treat their their victims, you know, and that means not only the defendant, but the defendant's family and their supporters as well. You suffered plenty under this. What, what you know, why don't you tell us a little bit what you can, what you feel comfortable um, talking about, you know, what what happened with the personal attacks that happened because of this U.S. attorney? Um, well, Vince Lombardi, um, I don't know what I can and can't say here, but um, he... Well, anything he, that happened in the that, that there's a record of, you know, when we met, remember, I, I, I really want to see transcripts and things like that. Um, anything that, that's, that happened as a matter of public record... Uh, there should mm -hmm. be no reason why you you can't say these things because, frankly, when I get a hold of these transcripts, I've got to be reading them, you know, verbatim, and 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 exposing these things that have happened, not to cause problems, but to bring awareness, and that's why we have public records. That's why there are transcripts, and that's why, uh, you know, that's an element of justice that unfortunately fear, um, you know, keeps from happening a lot of the times. And, and I know that there's always the fear of reciprocity of, of them coming after you for doing something. But the truth is, um, you know, the, 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 what's on the record's on the record. And um, I don't think that there's, if, if he was to retaliate uh, because of something that was said that's on the record, I think you'd have a case against him. And I think that that's, you know, something that's already potentially in the works. Well, way back when, when all this started and the raid started, he um, seized a couple of vehicles that belonged to. And just because they were parked in Lance's yard or Lance borrows my um, vehicles, all of our kids borrow our vehicles when they need them. 
but Vince decided that Lance was using my name to hide vehicles, so he he had our vehicle seized. We had to go through a lot of stuff to get our vehicles back, and they were our business vehicles, so that put you know hardship on our business. Vince didn't care, so. Um, down the road when Vince came back and did another raid, one of our vehicles, Lance was driving again, and he took the vehicle again, and I went over his head and went up to Jenny Durkin and the senators, and uh, we fought to get our vehicles back. Vince knew darn well that those were our vehicles, not Lance's, and he threatened to do whatever he could in our lives to make our lives miserable because... I guess we stepped over the line and went over his head. And um, I got phone calls from someone, uh, I think it was above Jenny Durkin, and um, asking me about his conduct and whatnot. I don't know whatever they did with that, but it was really um, inappropriate and unacceptable to the point to today where um, I know I'm followed by the feds. And I'm afraid, I fear for my life from the feds. Everything I do um, is he going to make up another lie, another story, and throw me behind bars too? I mean, these people are not our friends. They're not there to protect us. Well, you know, it's 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 frightening to to hear those words, but yet I've heard those words from family members of every case that stood up and and wanted to fight um you know the feds aren't there are not a lot of federal trials because most people don't fight and you know if you the the federal government's um conviction rate is like 99.8 percent it's it's a it's, it's it's ridiculously high and that tells you the odds that you're up against and it's one of these things that you know when when people hear um you know that government money is spent on something so much as as uh you know surveilling a family member you know long after a case is over what the heck is that you know and, mm-hmm. and yet it happens the the, the immense power that these us attorneys have um it's 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 insane to see the way that they're willing to wield that power um regardless of what you know ethics and the law might dictate um well he vince even in vince in the trial he used the incidents of our vehicles and he never once mentioned to the jury or the judge that those were my vehicles he always said look at the lavish life lance lived look at these vehicles that he owned when he knew damn well those were my vehicles. He totally misled the jury in almost everything he said in that whole trial. He painted a horrible picture of who Lance really is for the judge and the jury. And well, when now one of the, the issues well, that we usually have in, in federal cases is the lack of a good defense. Um, I've seen a very small amount of of you know good attorneys put on a good defense um and it seems that even decent attorneys tend to just be hamstrung they tend to not be willing to risk um you know 
a vigorous defense. Now, the way I understand it is, is the defendant is entitled not only to a defense, but entitled entitled to a vigorous defense, meaning that an attorney is supposed to do everything they can and do it well in in defending their client. Um, what was your thoughts with the way that your uh, defense attorney performed? Well, um, from the very beginning, Lance had Michael Schwartz for his attorney, and he was excellent and um, very confident that he was going to get Lance through this and everything was going to be okay. At the last minute, um, Governor Inslee appointed Michael Schwartz to be um, Pierce County judge, so Mike had to turn all of his cases over. Well, he... um, I, I don't know if he handpicked them or what. But anyway, Lance ended up with uh, Karen Unger. And um, she lived way up north in Anacortes, and it was a long drive for her, and she complained about that, this and that. She really wasn't a marijuana attorney. Of course, you know how many people are, but she was more focused on getting him off the money laundering charge and the gun charge, which she did did a good job on that but she really didn't defend him on the marijuana. So we all felt if he would have had better defense on that, he probably would not be great that day. So we fired her. I mean, do you think that she didn't feel that there was anything that she could have defended against? I mean, you know, this case happened after Congress passed a law uh, that was supposed to stop the DEA from being able to operate in a place where the state laws were being followed. And this is a case, this is a course that actually benefited um, the Kettle Falls folks and and a couple of other cases already. There's already been successful motions argued that that have reversed decisions. Um, She didn't feel confident that that was, that was a, you know, a defendable position. Well, she brought all that in. Um, I guess before the trial, they have a meeting about what the judge is going to allow in to the trial. And, of course, Vince Lombardi did not even want the jury to know it was a medical marijuana case. And the judge said, well, this is what it's all about, so we have to at least let them know a little bit. But I'm not going to allow the 538. I'm not going to allow you to bring in a bunch of stuff. So she basically stood back and let them walk all over her. Right, and that that's that's the worst thing. I I you know I've I've been in a trial where my attorneys got decimated by a bad judge, but that was a state case. Uh, but I've watched these federal mm-hmm. cases where you know the attorneys really don't seem to have the wherewithal to stand up to a federal judge. Uh, it's, no. it's 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 really difficult to watch, um, and these guys get paid a lot of money, and even the even the Federal public defenders get paid well. It's not like a. Uh, she was paid thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that you know it, that's that's a chunk of money, folks. Um, yeah. it, it, it's just crazy to think that you know there wasn't every possible uh, avenue you know vigorously defended. Um, now I remember you know during this case, uh, Lance was very um, outspoken about this and. Um, you know, he was he was the one that didn't turn on anybody. And, yep. you know, it, it's funny. You would think that those two attributes would be noble. 
those are things that um, you know you would consider to be a positive, no matter who you were. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't reveal anything about people I cared about that might cause them harm to save my own self. That's a noble act, in my opinion, and probably a lot of people's opinions. And I advocate for myself, and I reach out to the community for help. Um, that's not something that bad people do, <laughs> you know. You don't ever hear a murderer or a rapist advocating, you know, or, or, or you know, a group of people out there to support uh, a really bad person. They're just, it doesn't happen. And, you know, in this case, there was community support. So why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, you as a mom, um, you know, in so many cases I've sat in usually – not the cases that were there to support, but the cases that come in before or after. Um, you watch defendants come up all by themselves. You watch sentencing hearings um, where, you know, there's there's no, and we'll get to the sentencing on this one, but you, you watch where it's just the defendant and nobody there supporting them, and then there's all these people supporting the victims. And in this case, when you have community support, it changes the whole dynamic, and it, even in federal court where, you know, there's there's oftentimes not much that can be done about the outcome, there is a big change when there's people standing there with you. So tell me, as uh, first from Lance's point of view, as, as he's, I'm sure, conveyed to you, um, you know, he, he was obviously courageous, but it's still frightening. I mean, I can remember in my trial, uh, you know, I had hundreds of people there in my case in, on some days, and it was a three-week-long trial, and I I stood tall, but, man, it was scary as hell. You know, you go into this place, mm-hmm. and you every day that you're there, they could take you off to jail. In Lance's case, he was already – was he, he wasn't in custody at the time of the trial. It was after the trial. Is that correct? Uh, he was in jail about four weeks before – no, yeah, he was out during the trial, yeah. yeah. He was out during the trial. So he got to go home at night when, when the during yes. the trial. And and yes. so, you know, you were able to spend time, you know, with him, obviously, and, and you had supporters there. Tell me about that because, you know, one of the things the Human Solution is all about is advocating, you know, it's a big part of our mission to educate and support um, you know, victims of the drug war and and their families and and you know one of the ways we do it is what is court support. We show up and 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 you know be there for these people. Um, and 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 it's very unusual when it comes to uh, criminal court. There aren't usually supporters for any defendant. So tell me what that was like from his point of view. Well, he has quite a few. Um supporters on Facebook and social media and stuff like that. He um, also, while he was going through the trial, he was still, you know, trying to help others like um, Thomas Landris, who's in prison for marijuana, and Craig. He tried to help Craig Castile and um, quite a few other people. And through all that, um, he picked up more supporters and whatnot. Um, We had rallies for him before... um, all of his hearings and stuff. Um, the courtrooms were full of supporters. The uh, judge made us all take off our little uh, 
green pins. He said we couldn't wear that in there because that would influence the jury. We couldn't wear Yeah, that was uh, disheartening. We make the solidarity ribbons, and we were hoping that, uh, uh, you know, when we bring them into court, it has an impact. But it's not – they don't say anything. And, and no. most courts, even most federal courts, allow them in. But you know when they don't, and in, in, in Roland Gregg's case, they made them take a – take them off too uh, you know when they don't that you're in for a tough road because you know that's that's something that should be a first amendment protected issue and I've had number of judges rule in our favor um, s- stating just that it's a first amendment issue these ribbons don't say anything uh, but when a judge disallows that that's that's a frightening point place to be mm-hmm well, he wouldn't allow any of us to wear any clothing that had anything to do with marijuana on it. But when the main witness was up there, uh, he had a Lacey Cross T-shirt on, and that was the dispensary in question during this trial. But yet, wow. the witness was able to wear that. Wow. <laughs> Lance has yeah, had you know. quite a few people approach me um, and him as well, but to do documentaries and um stuff like that. So he's got a lot of supporters out there. Well, and and so, I mean, that's got to give him, at least as he's standing, you know, in, in a in a compromised position, it's got to, it's got to hold him up, you know. Um, I know when I was locked up, the, knowing that there were people that were standing there with me and for me and helping my family out, and it just made all the difference in the world. I couldn't have imagined you know, it being any other way, but, you know, so many people have, have nobody. I mean, when our prison outreach program began, uh, we discovered a number of inmates that were locked up that prior to us reaching out to them, they had nobody, even their, you know, their families were gone, you know, after years and years being locked up, marriages don't survive, families don't survive, and, you know, many of them were, were, you know, all by themselves, and, uh, uh, so at least there's 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 the community support. Now, have you found, um, you know, this was what March when this all happened, or April? The trial and stuff. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, he was sentenced in June. Yeah. So, in in my case, it 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 went on for six years, and I noticed that you know the community that stood by me didn't have six years of of you know willpower for the most part i i was always unfortunately needing to bring in new people to help out because uh you know people would lose you know they just didn't have it you know they had their own family they had their own issues you know my dispensary when i um was operating you know i had hundreds and hundreds of people that promised they were going to stand by me to the very end and six years later, when my case was finally dropped after all of it, you know, there was like six people left. And uh, I know that, um, you know, it's it's different when you get locked up. So hopefully, uh, you know, he's maintaining uh, rapport with a lot of these people and, and you know, keeping that support strong because, um, you know, we're obviously hoping for a, a, a big change to happen soon, but... Um, you know, you got to brace for the worst, no matter what. So, how did you feel having the support, knowing that there was, you know, a community 
standing with you. I mean, you're you're going to be there no matter what. You're his mom. But, um, you know, what was it like to know that there were other people there that maybe didn't even know him very well that were still willing to, to stand up? Well, support is a huge part of being able to get through this successfully. Um, you can't do it on your own. And uh, you always have to have an ear or a shoulder, people that have been in your shoes. It's really, really, really important to have supporters. And um, I know he thinks real highly of you. And so when we made the connection with you and uh, Matthew Pappas, that was like a huge blessing um, right at a time where I was just thinking and thinking that um, I just didn't know how much longer I could carry on because, um, you know, Lance missed his daughter's graduation from high school. Lance and I share the same birthday, and we missed that. And now Thanksgiving coming up when that was one of Lance's huge favorite holidays where he went and fed the homeless. and um, It's real important for him, and I knew that that was coming up, and it's extremely emotional for me. So when I can talk to other people and um, they understand how I feel, it's really, really, really important. Well, I... I, I... I know that you know this, but I want to reaffirm this on the air and just to make sure that, you know, everybody who's listening and everybody who might listen in the future as this is an archive show, uh, you know, the Human Solution stands firmly behind you, your family and Lance, and, um, you know, we're going to do what we can. Um, and, you know, a big reason I do this show is to make aware to people who don't know um, you know, to get that, that intimate connection with uh, the families, with these people. I've always said our organization is a family. Uh, there was a while ago we were going through this, um, uh, it was a business training thing, and they were going through trying to figure out, you know, well, what, what do you consider your business model to be like? And I said, you know, it's kind of like a like a good mafia family, <laughs> just in the sense that we're, we're, we have such strong ties we work together, you know, it, it, we, we just do good instead of bad. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, it's the connections that you have are a family type of a connection, though. I, the, the, the families of, of defendants that I've, that I've worked with and um, just, just the people that are willing to stand up and volunteer their time for somebody else, uh, these benevolent acts, it's, it's, it's only the kind of thing that a family would do. And so, you know, I just want you to know, that you are part of our family and we welcome you very, you know, 100%. And I appreciate that a lot. Well, now it looks like um we have we have some some activities that that we're able to uh to to work on and I know that um you know there were violations um you and I met what about 3 weeks ago and um yep. we went through a lot of the details about the case. And uh, in addition to uh, ineffective counsel and some elements of this, um, there was uh, issues that that the court violated. And you know this, um, you know this law that that is make it to where uh, federal money is not spent on these kind of cases. Uh, it was. I mean, it was a very mm-hmm. violation, and it's something that was completely appealable. 
and uh, you know, I, I believe that we're now closer to a, a not only a viable appeal, but um, a, a, an action beyond that, a, a, a proactive action that um, Matt is getting involved with. And I don't want to get into details about something that hasn't been filed yet, but um, it looks like you know we're 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 taking on some uh, you know a real a proactive stance right now. Now, what's the status with the appellate attorney? I believe um, you we we had some action that was going on um, three weeks ago. What what has come of that? Um, the Jeffrey Cradle, he's the one that um, replaced Karen Unger. And he was brought on at the time of the sentencing. Um, at that point, he said he wasn't an appellate attorney, but, you know, he could get us through the sentencing. So he did that. Um, he did file the appeal um, with the Ninth Circuit Court. We got um, the deadline schedule or whatever you call it with that. Unfortunately, he did not meet any of those deadlines, and he finally came to Lance and said that he had to withdraw because he is a trial attorney and he doesn't have the time or the experience, the knowledge um, to carry on. And this is Lance's life that, that's in his hands and he didn't feel like he'd be beneficial to Lance, so he had to withdraw. So basically everything is on hold. The, uh, the points, you know, in, in, in an appeal for people who don't realize uh, there's a series of events that have to happen in a particular timeline, and there, the, the initial appeal needs to be filed. There's opening briefs that need to be filed, and there's a response that comes back from the prosecution side. Then there's another, then, the, then there's a final response to that, and then there's oral arguments. Um, and all of these things happen in a timeline, and if you miss these things, typically uh, you can lose your right to appeal, but in this case, because the attorney, um, you know, bowed out and said he was unable to do this, they're at least giving him uh, an opportunity to uh, still keep his due process. So that's actually a positive note. Right. So now he is um, on the list of a public defender for that. But the good thing is, and I've been through this myself, and that's the only reason why I know, um, the the public defender in the appellate court is different than the public defender in trial court. So uh, in my case, I got a great attorney uh, as my appellate attorney, and he won. He he knocked it out of the park and, um, you know, uh, defended my case vigorously, and the appellate court ruled in my favor. And that's one of the reasons that they ultimately – dismissed my case after I was convicted uh, in a jury trial. Mm -hmm. So this is, don't underestimate the value of this, because what happens is these uh, appellate attorneys that are public defenders, uh, they have a, the ability to make case law. So good quality attorneys are vying for those positions, and uh, it gives them, you know, it gives them an opportunity to get their name in the books. And it's it's something that, you know, if you've been around attorneys, <laughs> egos are not a not a scarce thing. And uh, it's just one of those things that an overachieving, um, you know, type A personality, uh, they're drawn to this sort of thing. So typically 
the public defender's uh, appellate division is a different class of attorneys entirely. So hopefully, uh, once he gets through the you know financial requirements or whatever, um, does he have an attorney yet, or is he still going through that that process? Um, no, they're still um, going through all that, and we're told that um, it's about 18 months out once he finds an attorney to get the process um, in front of the court and all that stuff. So 18 months is a long time to sit there and wait while the world carries on with marijuana. It's going to take 18 months or it could take 18 months? They said that was the list of approximate his wait to get in front of the Ninth Circuit would be 18 months. So um, Mr. Cradle was hoping to hop on with Kettle Falls 5 or Charles Lynch or somebody like that to speed right. up his case, but, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen. Well, there's still there's still the possibility of, of that joining into other cases, for one, or, uh, you know, the fact that these, these cases are, uh, you know, sort of becoming uh, a topic that's that's being discussed. Who knows? Maybe it'll it'll move up the the ladder. My my case took two years to get through the appeals, so it's it's not it's not that I you know would necessarily expect it. And I know eighteen months is a long time, but having hope and having a good attorney, um, you know, eighteen months is a lot less time than ten years. So it's oh yeah, it's, you know, we've got we've got to go after. Um, you know every every possible uh, uh, prize we can get, and you know this is certainly uh, you know a given if we're able to uh, if we're able to execute it right. Um, at least we get this mm-hmm. appeal. And the Ninth Circuit, yep. you know, although they're a very uh, typically a very liberal court, um, they're not always our friends when it comes to cannabis cases. So hopefully. Um, you know, the public sentiment is going to be pushing towards, you know, the right thing to happen. Now, um, in the jury trial, again, I I don't want to, you know, take you through places that that you don't want to relive, but the reality is is the more people can understand this, the more likely we are to get support and help and and have more people to care. If you've never been into a jury trial, it's... it's, um, it's probably one of the most powerful experiences you could ever witness uh, where somebody's freedom is at stake and, and the power that's in a court is everything. It's, you know, you could be drug out of court, locked up, or you could walk out a free person. Um, and and the, the, the court or the judge has all this power. Um, and, you know, you're supposed to have a jury of your peers decide your fate, but the problem is, the jury of your peers doesn't ever get to hear the whole story. And it's maddening. It's the most frustrating thing in the world to sit in a trial and to know the truth and to know that that jury didn't get the whole truth. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't even sit in your trial, and I know that that's what happened because that's what always happens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, tell me what, what it was like when the jury went out after, you know, uh, you know the defense was put up, everybody rested, Closing statements were made. Um, how did you feel knowing that the jury was going to decide your son's fate, but they didn't get to see the whole picture? Um, actually, it was horrifying um, because I knew 
from being his mom that the truth hadn't been told in that trial. And so Lance's future is based on fiction. And um, it, it was just horrible, horrible. Well, how how long did the jury end up deliberating? Um, I believe it was just a um, couple days, and the one jury member, um, she had to be taken to the emergency because she was having a panic attack, and the judge would not let her take her medical marijuana on federal property. So instead of allowing her to handle it, you know, like she's supposed to under her doctor's care, um, he had her taken to the hospital. And we had to bring, they had to bring in the alternate juror. And um, shortly after that lady was brought in, they decided that they were ready to come back in and give the verdict, which we were called kind of thinking that possibly this gal was being pressured and was talking about jury nullification. And, um, you know, that's speculation or whatever, but um, I don't know. I guess we'll never know. Yeah, we've had a number of cases where one juror was holding out, and you know, it's 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 a horrifying experience because when you go to a jury trial, you know, the jury's supposed to have as much time as they need, and they're supposed to be willing to do what they say they're going to do. But the truth is, these jurors just sat through a long trial. They want to go home. They're not getting paid crap for this, and unfortunately. When it all comes down to it, um, I believe wholeheartedly that jurors don't want to go through everything and do it right. And when one juror stands out, and I've seen it happen, I've seen them stand tall and and hang a jury. Uh, And then I heard what happened Mm -hmm. inside there from that juror. But um, more often than not, the pressure comes in to let's get this thing over. Uh, Many juries come back on a Friday, and they don't come back on a Monday. And they just want mm-hmm. to go home, and it happens yep. all the time. And to think that that is what happens, um, you have to wonder. You have to think that there's got to be a better way. Maybe juries shouldn't meet on Friday. Maybe they should only meet on Thursdays. You know, there's got to be a way through this because mm-hmm. I've seen it happen so many times. And a handful of cases I've seen the jurors hold out and the jury get hung. And, you know, ultimately justice getting served. But uh, in Aaron Sandusky's case, it was the same thing. One juror held out, and ultimately, um, you know, he didn't get convicted on a lot of the charges, but um, she she caved and got him on the conspiracy, thinking that, you know, it wasn't as bad as the actual charge. Well, he got the mandatory minimum because the conspiracy carries the same, the same sentence. And uh, mm-hmm. she ended up writing a letter... Uh, a couple of years into his sentence, apologizing, but didn't leave a return address. And mm. I just thought that was cruel um, to even do that. You know, it, 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 she felt bad, bad enough to write the person that she ultimately got sentenced to 10 years a letter, but not even the courage to engage that person in a com- in a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And that broke my heart when that happened. Um, well, let, let's let's talk about the sentencing. Um, you know, this is probably the toughest thing there is to to watch 
because this is the point at which um you know you're you're convicted but you're not you're not it's not over until the sentencing and the sentencing could go you know any number of different ways there's even when there's a mandatory minimum there has been a few courageous judges that have sentenced outside of the mandatory minimum and gone lower and unfortunately they've seen them go higher as well but um in this case until a sentence is issued there's still hope there's hope that you know maybe maybe he'll do the right thing maybe he'll he'll give some sort of a you know alternative thing or house arrest or something um when we prepare for a sentencing usually we we ask people to write character reference letters and and be prepared to testify but judges don't always allow testimony um tell me what happened with that Did, were you able to get a number of letters um that came into the judge yeah Yep, we had a whole stack of letters, and out of all those letters, there was only one negative letter, and that happened to be the sister-in-law of the um, main witness, my granddaughter's dad. And, wow. Uh, yeah, kind of crazy. Wow. And That's the first time the I've ever judge, heard of that. Yeah, and the judge um, basically made fun of the letters. He didn't really care about the letters, it was like at sentencing, he just did a flip-flop, and he was totally against us, against marijuana, against, you know, he said people that have marijuana cards are fake, all these shops are fake, and he just doesn't want to deal with it. And, you know, it was his, his own, I felt like judge. everybody. This yes. is a federal judge whose job it is is to interpret the law. And and one of the laws at stake here was a law that said the federal government's not supposed to interfere when state law is being followed. But he didn't find that one important. He he instead no. found his personal opinion to be more important than the laws at stake. And this is federal judge with immense power. And and people don't realize this is what happens in court. And I and I wanted to bring well, this because it happens a lot. And the fact that he, you know, when you're sentenced or, I mean, yeah, after you're sentenced, you have the right to stay out of jail pending appeal. So we all figured, you know, he would, he was going to allow him to stay out and let, you know, Kettle Falls Five and Charles Lynch and everybody. Um, he said no. He felt his own personal opinion that Lance was a flight risk and his name, the judge's name is Ronald Layton, and he said it's the run, run, run rule. Well, nobody knows, hey, what's the run, run, run rule? But I guess it's his own rule. And he said, wow. if you can run, you're going to run, and that's how I feel Lance is going to, what Lance is going to do. Lance turned himself in in the very beginning, years ago. He's never missed a court appointment. He was on home monitoring for two, 24 months. He never got one violation. But this judge said he felt Lance was a flight risk, and he felt Lance was a risk to the society, to the community, because on a Facebook post, he said he wanted to spit in one of the girls' face that was a rat. He wanted to spit in her face, and the judge said he's a threat to But he didn't actually spit so, in her face, and he didn't say I no. was going to spit in her face. He just was saying what he thought at the time, which was... Yep was actually fairly gracious of things that I would want to say to or do yep. to the rats in my trial. I uh, you know and, and and any rats I've ever seen. I mean I you know to to 
to to be witness to these uh testimonies of 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 so-called friends and family that that and and they lie i mean i i've, I've watched so many so many uh, uh cooperative witnesses if you want to call them that uh the rats um say whatever the prosecutor wants to hear and and they mm-hmm. say it so that they save their own butts and uh yep. it's just horrifying now in yep. in one of the things that i talk about a lot in these pot cases is that there's no victim and there's no victim's family you said that this one individual did write a letter saying that uh you know it was a negative letter but when it came down to the sentencing uh, did they allow any testimony of character uh, witnesses? No. So that's unfortunate. They're supposed to, and in many cases they do. But here's maybe even a more important question. When it came down to the testimony of the victim or the victim's family, were there any witnesses? You mean were any of us allowed to talk? No, no, no. Typically in any criminal case at sentencing, they allow for there to be a character witness on behalf of the defendant, but usually in a, in a crime there's a victim and a victim's family. So if there's a murder or a rape or a burglary, the the victim will come up and testify as to how that crime impacted them uh, and, and why it was so horrible and why that sentence should be harsh. In pot cases, typically, there is nobody that testifies in that because there is no victim and there's no victim's family. I just wanted to clarify that that was what happened here. Right. No one. There's nobody because what what victim? No. Who was victimized? You know, and and, and that's the nature of the audacity of all of this, why it's so ridiculous, why we stand up and fight, why... It's so important that we bring these stories to light. Why it's so important that you tell this story and that people can listen and become aware because there's Lance is locked up in federal prison right now and there was no victim. How does this happen? You know, Craig Cecil is in federal prison for life and there was no victim. You know, and and you know, we talk about, you know, uh plenty of cases where uh, rapists and murderers and violent criminals get out early. They get probation. They get paroled. They get, uh, you know, years taken off of their sentences. There were victims. Yep. And and it makes no sense. And 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 that's why it's so important that people become aware of what's really going on here. This isn't about, you know, passing some law. This isn't about, you know, he didn't have his license right or his paperwork or any of that. This is a major life-changing event that the only victim is the defendant and the family, and that's what we need to change. So, uh, Tracy, I I am so grateful that you were able to come and tell this story. Um, Let's let's take this to the next place. You you have um, a good presence on social networking. I see you pop up a lot and and you're advocating strong you have a a battle cry that says well one dream one one dream one one team one dream one team one dream uh, yep <laughs> right and and tell me where that came from and 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 you know how can people uh, get in touch with you and what what can we do as advocates and activists um to make a difference right now 
Well, actually, the one team, one dream came from Lance when he was um, out there trying to help other people and stuff. And um, so I've just carried that on. And in in the difficult times, it, it helps me just to know that um, Lance is in behind the bars saying, one team, one dream, we're going to do this. We're freedom fighters. And um, we can't leave anybody behind. We have to keep fighting until the last one comes home. Well, this is so true, and it's it's so important that people realize that these cases are not about the people that got busted, not about the people that are locked up. This is bigger than all of this. And and when I was fighting my case, that was what my battle cry was. This isn't about me. Don't be here for me. Let's make the change. I don't want my grandkids to have to go through this. I don't want anybody anybody to go through this. And we can change it. And that's what that's what the important thing is, is that we make this change, that we, we change the paradigm. We need to make a world where you can't get locked up for this plant. You can't get locked up for helping somebody. You can't get locked up for breaking a ridiculously bad law, uh, no matter what it is. If there's no victim, there should be no crime. Um, well, Tracy, I, we're, we're running thin on time. Um, what what uh, can people do? How can people get a hold of you if they want to help out? They want to send Lance money or or whatever. Um, I'd like to actually um, um, arrange uh, to be signed up as a as a visitor, but I know what I need to do to do that. So um, I'll I'll move forward with that. Um, so uh, let me know uh, how can somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to to help out on a personal level. Um, we do have a website. Uh, freelance score on Facebook and um, they can get me on Facebook Tracy Glor Pike um, one thing I I, I want to say is that um, people you know like from listening to the program and they want to know the story they go on there and they Google his name and they come up with these federal documents and stuff people really need to be aware that those documents are fiction and please don't form your opinion about Lance on federal documents. Well, you know, I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I have seen many, many times when, uh, you know, if, if you Google on a case, usually what you get is what the prosecutor puts out. And, yep. uh, you know, there's all kinds of allegations, you know, in my case, they, I was charged at one point with stealing electricity. Well, that charge was dropped. But if you look at up my case, at one, you know, you'll see people talking about, oh, he stole electricity, and you know, it's a cancer. It's a, it's a, it's a complete cancer that that people will take an allegation, an accusation, and unfortunately, they'll go right to a conviction in their own mind, and they'll think different mm-hmm. of it, and so. Um, you know, it's important to get the story right. That's one of the reasons I do this show, is that we can get the story told from the perspective of the participants and the loved ones and the people that were there. And, you know, that's what we can do. So, all right. Well, Tracy, we're uh, we're, we're short on time. I appreciate you being here. Um, as this moves forward and as there's more to talk about, um, I will always welcome you to come on and give an update um, and just know that I'm available and my team is here and we'll do everything we can uh, to help out Lance and you and, and everybody who's uh, you know standing up to fight. 
Great. And I just want to say um, thank you guys a lot. I appreciate all that you're doing. And just like Craig Casile said tonight, stay in the fight. And we have to fight every single hour. And one yeah, team, so one true. team. And, yeah. And happy Thanksgiving, well, everybody, even you, though... You even are though, inspiring um, people to stand up and fight. Just know that. Well... It's important. Lance is important to me, and I know he's important to a lot of other people. So, you know, and he wanted me to tell you guys he's so appreciative and keep writing to him. It helps him cope with every breath he takes. It helps. Absolutely. And those letters are important. And uh, um, we've got – you have probably on, on the page the information on how to reach him. Um, you can always go yep. to the BOP website and uh, just do an inmate lookup. Um, and he's up at SeaTac uh, Penitentiary in uh, in uh, Seattle. So, all right. Well, Tracy, yeah, as far thank as you I so know. much for coming. As far as we know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I will uh, invite you back anytime that there's an update to be had, and uh, if there's something that you ever want me to just uh, give a give an update on the show, uh, don't hesitate to to message me, and I'll be glad to do that for you. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. You bet. You Take, take care, and happy Thanksgiving. All right. all right, again, folks, Tracy Glor Pike from uh, Washington State, and, you know, it's uh, it's important that as we're getting to the end of this um, show today that we just remember um, there's so much to be done, and, and there's time to celebrate, but just remember there's never time to give up and it's important that we stand tall and just keep going. All right, we've got a short period of time uh, to get through a few more callers, and we've got Donna Corby with some good news. Um, I don't see Tom Corby as an update today. We've got Lisa Wooldridge with a little uh, announcement, and we have Thomas, Albert Thomas, um, going to give us an update as well. So first up, Donna Corby, this is going to be kind of a lightning round. Welcome to the show, Donna. Donna Corby, are you there? Hey, Tom, this is Lisa. Hey, Tom, are you there? How's it going? All right, you're live on the air. Well, okay. Hey, Donna. It's Joe. Say hi. Hi, Joe. Hello, Donna. Love you. Good to talk to you. How did you get me on here? You hooked me up. I'm just reading what the screener put up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, uh, well, go ahead. We've got a short period of time. Let's go go with the update here, please. Because I'm a felon for one one count for cultivation, but you have to go to the courthouse, people do, that are felonies for this plant, and file a petition with the court. You go to the criminal division of the court, and you ask them for the 6-4, six, six, what was that? Uh, what was that called, the heading on that? Uh, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, Proposition uh, 64. It's a petition, application for resentencing or dismissal or reduction or dismissal, Stealing Health and Safety Code 11361.8. And, and, and anybody, I believe, that has a felony conviction can get it put down to a misdemeanor or less, even dismissed. But it has to be a petition that you submit to the court. That's my take, and everybody else can go on from that. Excellent. I asked the lawyer. 
Berglund, the lawyer, and he told me that that retroactive that it did nobody had to do anything. He flat out faced me and lied to me the other day, and I went to my probation officer, and she told me what I had to do, go to the court and get the petition and file it. So everybody else can do it that have felony convictions in California, even from hell long years ago. So get on the board, everybody. Well, that's, all that's, I need that's, to say. that's another demonstration of, of, you know, you just can't believe that uh, things are a certain way and, you know, you have to go after it and do everything that you can. Well, thank you so much, Donna. I hope you guys have okay. a... <clears throat> wonderful Thanksgiving, and I, I hope, look forward to coming up there and seeing you soon. Yeah, us too. Us too, Joe. Love you. Good job. Here's Lisa. All right, Lisa. <laughs> okay, Joe. Uh, you know what? Tom's on his phone. Do you have him up there? I don't, uh, but I will. Okay. All right, Tom, you're live on the air. I'm on already. All right. We're both nice on. You and Lisa are both live. Uh, that's cool. Uh, it's nice to have Lisa Gordon here. We want people are like her. Uh, it's pretty exciting uh, with Donna sharing here, and she got a little uh, impatient over the whole thing. But I said, "Can you imagine? You only have to go back one more time. So you petition the court, you bring court to court, you bring them all in there and make a point. A waste of time and taxpayers' money all these years." Disrupting life, like the the floors. Uh, I'm so so good to hear. She uh, talking today. I've been on message with her off and on. Uh, I hear. Her. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, we can we can write uh, uh, prisoners and. Uh, Last four, uh, seven of card, like season greeting card. Uh, I have Lance's number here, uh, address. If people want to take it down, uh, there's uh, nothing to mail when you're in there. Uh, the most important to know that not forgotten water. Uh, Lance would love to hear from you. Uh, he's at. Uh, FDCCTAC, uh, or that's Seattle. Uh, his number is 
is just laws and regulations that basically screw uh, I didn't understand about an AMA and we fought hard against it was the fact that these cases are, in fact, that I see are being reduced from felonies to misdemeanors. What's that say? The criminal intent, Shelby's attorney told me at her PTC last week, on the way out, bottom anymore. There's no need to go to trial. So, point being here is that Shelby's going on to a settlement conference. Judge and the GA uh, need time to go over the 63 pages of AUA uh, and focus on where it does say that all cases uh Victimless crime cases, no victim, no crime, she'll talk about, all have been reduced to a misdemeanor. Uh, I believe that some folks will have to uh, take it on, on and file a petition and go to a hearing. You might, uh, you might agree that this
20 years for furnishing a joint for Tim Burt that got out of jail. Uh, was asked. And we hung the jury. She ate. The finished took the stand and said they stopped at my store in Korean Pat, my little town, asked me to give them a joint, and I wouldn't. We always take them on to trial. Uh, we'll plea bargain out. Uh, sometimes we we do solve uh, a case. Cases are misdemeanors. When she go to jail, plant. When she agree on that. Wow. Well, we're we're uh, running over time right now, so we're gonna need to get all the way to your closing statement here. Okay, so one point I want to make here, uh, <clears throat> coming up on the counter, and uh, I'm gonna pull Shelby's coming up. She's two months. Uh, she's coming up. Uh, at the May on the 13th of January, uh, 2017, and totally again, we you just keep it going on. A lot of these cases are in fact going away. Matt Sears and uh, Eric Sears uh, actually are scheduled for uh, their TRCCHCs on the 30th, as is Shelby. Well, I think that that puts down that these are misdemeanors. We won't be going to trial. Uh, that there's also, they may be going to settlement hearings and let this hope this time something gets said. Uh, I want to thank everybody who did show. As I always say, don't forget to be. All right. Thank you so much, Tom. All right. We've got, and you guys have a fantastic uh, Thanksgiving, and I, I look forward to coming up to seeing you guys soon. All right, we got two more quick updates here. We got Lisa Wooldridge and Albert Thomas. So we're going to bring up Albert first and let Lisa round the show up. Albert, welcome to the show. We're we're running over time, so uh, just wanted to give you a a moment to say your piece. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. I'm just glad you guys are here, and I've enjoyed listening to everybody. I um I'm excited because you know I've had such good results. Since I came there and you helped me out And um, so you should be getting calls from Albuquerque To go to Quico That's wonderful Yeah, and there, people are really loving That that glass salve that you gave me That yep. you said it was extra That one And somebody yep. put it They rubbed it on They had a, Some child had a sore or something And it healed it like in Overnight or something. It was really just it, it healed it immediately, like almost. That's um, some good stuff. It's amazing. It just really is good. I'm so I'm excited about it, Joe. Thank you so much. You I'll betcha. Be, um, All right, thank you so much, Albert, and uh, you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you, Joe. Bye bye. All righty. All right. Last up, we have uh, the Human Solution Vice President and current uh, membership coordinator. Hopefully, uh, soon to be. Uh, replacing the membership coordinator with somebody else. Uh, she can focus on vice presidenting. But uh, Lisa Wildred, she's got an update for us. What's going on, Lisa? Welcome to the show. Well, good evening, sir. Thank you, and uh, welcome, welcome. And everybody is welcome. Make sure that you go ahead and check out the website. And we do have the new membership, which is the 420 membership. 
and that's just 4.20 a month. And we do have a new feature where you can tell the membership person, that's me, what size <laughs> shirt you want, style. So that's been a big issue, guys. So make sure that uh, if you're still missing your membership materials, it's probably because you haven't answered the email or the phone call I've been pestering you with. Or it could be that I just missed you. Remember, if um, you so sign up as a 420 <laughs> member, you get a T-shirt as part of your membership. So that's uh, we want to give you what you have coming to you, but you have to answer the call or, or let us know what it is that you want. Otherwise, you'll end up getting a, a, a shirt that you can't use, and that's not any good. Exactly. You'll get your card, you'll get a ribbon, and you'll get your shirt. So that's pretty much it. And the more we have, the more we can do, and we're better together than we are alone. So that's it, and happy Thanksgiving. All right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, that will conclude today's show. Um, Tomorrow or next week, we're going to be having Michael Minardi, uh, Chris Lewandowski, and uh, we're going to be talking about Cher Christie, uh, who is also locked up in federal prison right now. And uh, she put out a little newsletter, and uh, I think I want to encourage everybody to send her a message. Um, She's a, a sweet lady who doesn't belong in prison any more than in any of the others. And I uh, just want to, you know, reach out and give her a hug right now. So anyways, all right, folks, uh, it's been a pleasure, and we will see you Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. You were always on my mind.